Hey. Lord, the grass withers, the, feather, the, the flowers fade, but your word, O oh God, endures forever. May your enduring word be like a guiding light to us today and every day, God. May we hear your gospel good news. Amen. Well, first off, thanks for uh, letting me take a few days off. Uh, we, my family had a great time. While I know Reverend Mike Hicks, for those of you who were able to be here, I know he did a really good job uh, preaching, and I really appreciate Mike doing that. So thank you for that. The second thing is that we're entering into a new season. It's called Epiphany. Epiphany. Tell the person next to you, it's Epiphany. There you go. Okay. Now, what in the world does that mean? Well, epiphany is the revelation or revealing of God. In other words, after Christmas, the 12 days of Christmas, yesterday in the Church Universal was the reading that you just heard Hunter read today. It opens up epiphany. It's kind of like when you get that aha moment. The light bulb goes on. And something happens because you get it, finally. And these wise men, they got it. They got it. And there's a lot of talk about star and light in this beautiful and amazing story. This very morning, you know, preachers get up real early in the morning. Grady, did you get up early in the morning on Sundays? You better believe it. We've just like, you know. So... At about 4.30 in the morning when I'm drinking that, or 5 in the morning, I'm drinking that cup of coffee, my patio lights there in the parsonage come on. Why? Because Jen, not me, Jen set the light that automatically comes on. Do you have that around your house? We even set our Christmas tree where it would come on at a certain time, come off at a certain time. Now on Sunday morning when I got up early, Sometimes the tree was off when I kind of wanted it to be on, but I was too scared to fool with Jen's work, right? <laughs> See, when that's the bad side of these automatic lights. You can't always control them, right? And so, these magi, these wise men, a light came on. It wasn't their doing, it was God's doing, but a light came up, a star, asteroid, who knows what it was, but a light came up. And these magi were drawn to the child Jesus by a strange light that seemed to kind of turn on and turn off, like those, those porch lights, inexplicably. They're in the sky above them. And it mystified these guys. I guess they were guys. There might have been women. It was a big group. We, I know we sing we three kings, but we don't know how many kings there were, how many wise men there were. There could have been a whole entourage of them for all that we know. But what we do know is that the appearing star lured them like a Midwest tornado lures storm chasers. And they were off on this long trip. They focus on this strange starlight all the way to the baby feet of Jesus Christ, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. Now these men, 
they're strange characters themselves. We don't know a lot about them either. Except that just Matthew puts them in his gospel. They could be astrologers from modern-day Iran or Saudi Arabia or Iraq. We don't know how many. We just don't know. Regardless, their mystery is part of the point of Matthew's gospel. They are total foreigners and strangers who see an extra star shining in the sky. And they are drawn to where it leads. And they believe that this star is going to lead them to the King of Kings. Ellen Davis said this in a sermon that she shared on this. I love these words. She says, it makes perfect sense when you think about it that the ones who usher in this season should be magi, stargazers, for they were masters of an art that opened their minds toward a world beyond their own. That's the essence of all true hope. Stretching our minds and our faith beyond the confines of what we can clearly see and touch and control. Martin Luther wrote this about him. This is the early reformer in the early 1500s. He said, you know, they went to Jerusalem, not Bethlehem. Did you catch that? Like they went to, they were thinking it was in Jerusalem. And Martin Luther said, that's because you would expect to find a king in the capital city, not some backwater town. But the royal city happens to be Bethlehem. Not Jerusalem. And when they get a little confused, they stop and ask for directions. From King Herod, no less. Whose priests find an obscure message from Micah. It's there in your Bible, right there in Matthew 2. Which says that the king of kings is going to come from Bethlehem, not Jerusalem. They were eight miles off as they were following that, that star. And so they went on their way to Bethlehem. And it says that these men were filled with joy, with great joy in your scriptures. Some of your scriptures say wild joy. In the Greek, it literally says they rejoiced with a really, 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 really big joy. Let me ask you, when's the last time you've been overwhelmed by joy? When's the last time you saw something that Almost made you cry. You were so grateful and thankful. When did that happen? These wise men were like what the hymn writer wrote. Lost in wonder, love, and joy. And they didn't know half of what we know about Jesus. But they were excited. And they were joyful. Hey, let me ask another question. What would it look like for St. Luke's to be a joyful church? Lost in wonder, love, and joy. Luther wonders, why did these wise men get drawn straight? Why didn't they get drawn straight to Bethlehem? Why did they have to go to Jerusalem and hear from Micah, the prophet, a book in the Bible, to get there? And Luther's response was, is because scriptures guide us in a way that our murky ideas can't. So we need, need that scripture, and the wise men knew that. So they find Jesus, and they rejoice, and they pay homage to him with extravagant gifts. The first people drawn to his own royalty are not part of Jesus' family or royalty from Jerusalem, not part of his race or his religion. They're not part of his people. But they're the ones who are the first to pay homage to King Jesus. 
I think this is Matthew's way of saying all people, all people are invited to the feet of Jesus. All people will be drawn to his light. You see, it doesn't matter what your walk has looked like up to this point. It doesn't matter how strange, painful, or maybe how boring you think your story or your journey is. The most important questions remain right here on Epiphany. They're this. What has drawn you to Jesus? I mean, what got you to Jesus? I'm not talking about what got you to join a church or to go through the motions. What has drawn you to Jesus? What leads you to seek his company most Sundays here or somewhere else? What brings you to worship him and to bring your gifts on a regular basis? I mean, what is your star? There's a lot of stars of the night, but what is your guiding star? Here's the truth. Each of us has our own journey across life's desert to come face to face with the Lord. We, we've all journeyed through that. That's a journey I can't take for you or you cannot take for me. So what is that star for you? What's that light that keeps blinking for you? Is it Holy Scripture? Maybe 2024 is a time to, to get to studying a little bit more. Maybe you haven't done that in a long time and maybe, maybe that's what you need. Is it a person or a saint? Someone that encourages you? Someone that is your mentor? That you, you admire something in them because you've seen how they deal with adversity or pain and you want some of that? Maybe this year you need to tell them that. Tell them that, that they're a bright burning star for you. Might do a lot for them and for you. Your star may be that you need the forgiveness and the generosity of a loving community. You know, we can't do this alone. We do it together. Perhaps your draw is that you're looking for sheer joy. You want to know what it's like to laugh again and to love again. And maybe 2023 wasn't so full of laughter and love. Maybe you need the really, 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 really big joy that God can only give. The church needs to be many things. In 2024, we'll do the best we can to worship and give you opportunities to serve. Because just like the wise men, got to look for it outside of you, right? Beyond you. If we're going to grow, that's what we've got to do. We're going to try to be a community where we learn how to forgive and put up with each other, right? Because we're all human beings. We all make mistakes. We're going to try to be a voice for justice and compassion for the world at large. To take on the darkness. To push back on Herod. Whatever that, wherever that may look like. But above all, this is what I pray that St. Luke's is and will always be. A place where all people are drawn to communion with Jesus Christ so they can worship Him. That is our one star here at St. Luke's. That's who we point toward. We're still at our core, a holy place where Jesus still turns water into wine, or better yet, he turns strangers into friends and friends into family. I still believe that. That is my north star. That's why I get up and beat my porch lights up to light up. Because that's what gets me excited. Because I know God is up to something and stirring up something. And if God can put a new star in the air, God can renew St. Luke's. 
I know it. I know it. We gather here not for our own sake, but for the sake of the world. That's the good, these, that's the God these Magi were seeking. Now, I know Herod's church is so alluring, right? So many times as a church, we're like, okay, what's going to get them here? What's going to make people comfortable? Let's try to keep all our members happy. Keep them coming, but self-preservation, that's Herod's church. That's not the wise men's church. That's Herod's model. Nobody really wants Herod's church. I really believe that. I believe sometimes we all get uncomfortable with our comfort and know that we're restless and know that God needs to do something with us and through us. I know that comfort gets stale so quickly. So we long, all of us, long to go another way, go home by another way. The good news is this. When we're offering Jesus to the community, we don't have to worry about surviving. Because when we're up to doing our thing and sharing the love of Christ, nothing else really matters. That's the only star that counts. Paul says this, and I'll close with this, and we'll have communion. Paul says, But we all with unveiled faces, beholding and reflecting like a mirror the glory of the Lord, we're being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, even as from the Lord's Spirit. In other words, we become what we obsess over. We become what we focus on. Because whatever you're focusing on, you are reflecting it to the world. And if we can get our star right and reflect on the love and grace of Christ Jesus... We'll be reflecting something that the world can't, can't find anywhere else. You become your focus. You actually begin to reflect what you're focusing on. And so, my dare is this to you, the church. Let's find our star again in 2024. Let's, let's go through the desert together and figure out what it means arm in arm to be the body of Christ. Let's share none other in the light of the world, Jesus the Christ, and let everything else fall by the wayside. The light is blinking. Sometimes it moves. Sometimes it blurs. We can't control when the light turns on, but that doesn't mean we don't have a responsibility to respond to the light when we see it. For He is the King of kings, the one who died that all might live. Surely we receive from Christ infinitely more than we could ever give. He is our glory, He is our star, and all He asks is that we find His star and that we follow. Let's be wise women and wise men this year and follow the star and see where it leads us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen.